everybody, and welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. I'm Molly Herford, author of four, soon to be five books on cycling, writer of all things fitness related, and lover of pretty much all things fitness related, except at the moment, climbing hills. And I'm Peter Glassford. I am a registered kinesiologist in Ontario, Canada, and also a professional bike coach. Occasionally, I race my bike moderately fast and do other movements and and such things, but I really like movement and different sports and learning about them, and that's why we do this podcast, The Consummate Athlete. Yeah, so if you're joining us for the first time, welcome. You've picked a good episode because this is the April Q&A. So instead of having a guest on to talk about a specific sport or share their research or talk about their consummate athlete lifestyle, you get a taste of what we're up to and what we're all about because it's just us answering some listener questions. So these are always really fun to do. At the moment, we are up in Lake Gregory, which is in San Bernardino County in California. I probably just butchered that pronunciation. Uh, Not the Lake Gregory one, the other one. Um, But we're up here for the first couple of mountain bike races of the season. We're with some juniors from Ontario and kind of getting them to and from the races and doing some riding of our own up here. It's at moderate altitude, uh, 4,500 feet, I believe. So the effects of that took me a couple days to adjust to. Peter has naturally adjusted beautifully right away. I was a little dead the first couple days. It's all a mindset, I think. I don't know if it's... It is not. I felt like crap on a run. And actually, maybe it is mindset because once I realized that I could blame altitude a little bit, it felt a little less crappy. So. I don't know. You just keep going. I was not feeling great on that ride today. I'll tell you that. That last hill killed me. Yeah, there's definitely some good riding here. And we're hunting some trails and trying to keep the... The young athletes on on the dirt is sort of the main objective this this week, um, and then also mixing in a little bit of time is a nice little running path with some agility course stuff where to hop and do some pull ups and that sort of stuff. And yeah, it's basically my favorite setup. We're pretty much right out the door is Lake Gregory, and it's got yeah a three mile loop right around it. So it's been awesome for every day just getting out there and walking around it a couple times running around it a few times yeah and we were talking about how having something like that you know right in your face sort of encourages that right you know i don't know if i'd pull-ups are always hard to do to find something so when you're you know we would go for a walk once or twice a day around the lake or have been i should say but when you have that pull-up bar like staring you down all the time you know, you're adding a couple pull-ups and, you know, so to speak, you're going to grease that groove more often. So I think with the walking path, having it in front of you, you know, you might not walk if it was just a busy highway or something. So I think as illuminated, I guess, the importance of sort of making sure your surroundings encourages, you know, that different types of movement and that sort of stuff, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. It's made us add another thing to our list of what we want in a place we want to live. So that's always that's always good. The list is getting pretty long. I don't know that we're ever going to find a place that not, checks all of the boxes, but I definitely think that's a, that's a big one. Uh, I also was on one of the little beaches at the lake this morning doing, doing some squats holding a big rock because I'm in the middle, or actually I guess at the beginning of um, a month of squats for Bicycling Magazine trying to see how doing squats every day for a month is going to change my riding. 
I'm pretty excited about that. It's always fun to do these, like, add this daily routine for 30 days and see what happens kind of things. Like, I know they're, you know, it's a little a little cliche, but, you know, squatting every day, where what's the bad, really? And I've been kind of alternating between doing just air squats and then heavy squats. I think I might have found a too heavy rock today. <laughs> that one was a little little burlier than I thought it was when I picked it up. Yeah, I'm, I don't know. I think it looked okay. Yeah, actually, Peter was there and he took some pictures of me doing it. And I, I looked at them and I was like, oh, good. My form is actually pretty awesome right now. So I feel pretty good about that. We'll we'll connect in the May Q and A episode, and I'll let you guys know how that panned out. Yeah, it's interesting. Like we used a slight downslope. I guess it was the the shoreline slope slightly downwards. And I've always been sort of a stickler that oh yeah, you should be able to squat. But I think elevating your ankles. You know, I just did a was that with Coach Clance. I've talked about that here before. But the Olympic lifting course. Um, and they're big on having Olympic lifting shoes, which are just sort of elevate your heels. Um, and it, it's interesting. Like, it definitely helps make the form better. And it's one of those things, like, you can have an ego about having your heels up, but then do you just disregard the fact that, you know, your your form's horrible and, you know, you're throwing your back out or, or whatever, right? So sometimes just that slight downslope makes all the difference in the form for sure. Yeah, that was that was good for me. I liked that. I think I'll always just do my squats on the beach. Seems like a good spot as any. Um, but yeah, anyway, uh, after this, actually, next week, we'll be heading back towards the East Coast again. I'm looking forward to that drive, sort of. I'm more looking forward to getting home and seeing my family for the first time in a few months. So that'll be great. I'm a little nervous about getting home to cold weather. It's been really easy to say, oh yeah, training's going great when we've been in sunny, moderate climate for the last couple months. Um, so that'll be that'll be an interesting transition for sure. Yeah, well, why don't we dive into it then? Uh, we have a bunch of questions this week. The first one I'm going to just throw in, I just actually got from a client and it was, how do we, Molly and Peter, feel about tea tree oil for treating saddle sores? Uh, I can I can go first and speak to this one since... Well, I, I was asking you. Mm, I did write the book on the topic. Saddle sore, ride happy, ride comfortable. Or ride comfortable, ride happy. It's bad when you can't remember the names of your own books. Anyway, uh, for in my personal opinion and the opinion of a lot of the people I talk to... This is not the best idea in the world. Um, primarily because tea tree oil is, you know, accepted as good for like acne on your face. But I think that's partially because your face isn't sitting on stuff and doesn't have pressure on it all day. So you can be using something a little bit harsh. And I honestly don't even use tea tree oil on my face because I do think it's a really harsh, harsh oil. Um, a lot of people go just absolutely overboard with using it as well. So I've heard a lot of people complain about basically burning themselves with it. So I really don't think it's the best move for cyclists, especially ones that have to get back on the bike the next day. Yeah, I'll tell you a horror story. You know, we had Bernard on and he gave us a <laughs> saddle sore horror story. So we may as well start making that like a common segment on oh, the I show. Oh, I like this, yeah. Just like my worst saddle sore ever. And mm -hmm. we'll just have like 
every guest tell us the story. Oh, that can be sore. like our, our short Friday episode. Yeah. It can just be my worst saddle sore saddle ever. Saddle sore Fridays or frightening Fridays. Frightening Friday. Okay. And work on some sort of title for that. So I broke my collarbone at a BMX coaching course in 2011. Um about six weeks before mountain bike nationals which is my actual goal the coaching course in bmx was not so much my my goal but was important as my second coaching teachable um so anyhow i broke my collarbone and so i went through that recovery it was painful and everything else but wanted to still race as a young man does and so i was riding the trainer a bunch once we got sort of over the initial healing to get back to somewhat some sort of form before the race um, and of course, then was riding sort of lopsided. We had rigged up a pretty amazing uh, band to, so I didn't have to use my one arm, my right arm. Um, but I was still a little lopsided on the trainer and just spending way too much time sitting on the trainer in July in the garage. And I developed a saddle sore. And so then I decided that tea tree oil was the solution. And it was sort of helping, I thought, but not really. Um, and then of course more is better. So I put on a lot and got on riding and I just like, it was one of those things where you start wondering if something's okay. And then all of a sudden it definitely is not okay. And I swear to God, that was the worst amount of pain or the most amount of pain I've ever been in was overdosing, so to speak on tea tree oil in the unmentionable area and i just remember i got in the bath to try and wash it off oh not a good idea either yeah and there's oil everywhere like it was one of those things i don't know what the treatment is but it i just remember being curled up on the couch with a broken collarbone so like in a sling um and then having this just like what do you do pain like you can't get it off but it's too late the tissue's already like burnt essentially so sort of like when you accidentally use embrocation instead of chamois cream i guess it would be like yeah like putting embrocation into your eye or something but i don't know like no one's areas are 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 sort of areas you want to screw around with so to me i always recommend just shower twice a day soap it up twice with different types of soap each time you're in there and that soap up everything. Like there should be a visual lather on your stuff. Um, and, and then afterwards, try and keep it airy. So again, you know, whether that's a, a muumuu or a, uh, what other types of dresses are there? A, a kilt for the a gentleman kilt. out there. It, whether it's a kilt or you're just walking around naked or boxers or what, do, what else do could we do? What are, whatever, as long as we're letting it breathe. Just let everything breathe. Even for 10, 20 minutes, you know, brush your teeth and shave or something with your pants off. Um, just to give it a bit of time to dry, sleep naked maybe. Um, and then polysporin, I think just a dab of it is probably your best action. And then of course, taking a day off and changing bikes. So you're changing your saddles between rides is going to be a way. And then also changing your shorts mm-hmm. is another thing. If you're going to try and like get through it, but once you're not getting through it, just take a couple of days off and be a consummate athlete and go for a walk or, or, you know, do some hill running or something Mm -hmm. like i know we really want to say like oh here's this great natural solution but tea tree oil is one of those things that was really big a few years ago in the wellness and like natural sphere but i haven't seen as much on it and i think it's because people are realizing that it's actually like way more harsh i guess a good way to think like we use it at the gym to sterilize like mats and like all the gym stuff as like a natural solution so that we're not putting like bleach but it's so it's a substitute for bleach yeah like manuka honey would actually be probably like a more like i guess like if you're looking for something that's going to be antibacterial but i don't know it's one of those things where 
it's not natural that you're riding a bike that much. So True. Maybe just put some polysporin or yeah, absolutely. But first line of defense, just soap it up really well. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, let's pause for a quick ad break, and then we'll get back to the next question. Health IQ is a life insurance company that promotes a health-conscious lifestyle through financial rewards. They've used science and data to get lower rates on life insurance for health-conscious people just like you, including those who exercise four times a week through cycling, weightlifting, swimming, running, whatever consummate athlete lifestyle you're, you're undertaking. Research has shown that people who are highly active through exercise have a 22% lower cancer risk, 50% lower heart risk, and 34% lower risk of early death. Many people who exercise regularly don't realize that they can get a special rate with Health IQ if they qualify through the Health IQ quiz. Health IQ has special rates for cyclists, runners, triathletes, vegans, and other health conscious people, so you can qualify by scoring elite on quizzes for specific lifestyles. Essentially replacing BMI with waist to hip ratio for better predictors of cardiovascular disease when it comes to weightlifters and muscular builds. That's great for me. They also have replaced the LDL-HDL ratio with triglyceride to HDL ratio for low-carb and paleo dieters, which is a better predictor of cholesterol health, and they don't take into account one incidence of family history if you're otherwise healthy. So, go over to healthiq.com slash capod. All lowercase. And take that quiz. Um, They have a bunch of different quizzes on the website, and the website's pretty well designed, so it's worth heading over there, checking it out, and again, using that link, healthiq.com slash C-A-P-O-D. And we're back. All right, our next question I actually really love. Um, So, I signed up for a race that involves running. I always hurt myself when I run. How do I avoid the DOMS, uh, delayed onset muscle soreness, and calf pain especially? Uh, As someone with ridiculous DOMS, I I feel this question very, very much. You feel it? I feel it. You're not going to feel it. Uh, I'm going to let you feel that I might add some stuff to it because I've figured out how to how to deal with it pretty well, I think. Right. Um, But yes, I definitely feel you. Yeah, so it's pretty common. A lot of cyclists now are looking, you know, there's always a what's next. So it's, you know, you've done mountain biking or you've done some road stuff and now you want to look at an Ironman or an adventure race or a 5K or like a fall marathon. So I deal with this a fair bit. With cyclists, it's usually the fall or the off season when we're dealing with suddenly wanting to run and being really fit but not being fit for running. So first thing, like just go slower. Is, is my biggest thing and you're always no one's gonna ever do it but what I would recommend if you actually want to make running a long-term habit is to start you know two three four times a week doing you know starting with 20 minutes in the first week and that's gonna be mostly a walk but during that you're gonna do sort of maybe four or five 30 second to one minute runs so you're gonna run for like four minutes the first time. So four minutes on, one minute walk for 20 minutes. It's basically nothing. So it could be the warm up before you go ride. It could be a morning thing before breakfast. It could be just before dinner. It could be you know any variety of ways you want to fit that in. It could realistically to start be at lunchtime. You know you're running to do an errand or something because one minute's not really gonna get you that sweaty. And so all you're doing is conditioning the tissue. It's not that you're not fit. It's that your tissue, your ankles, your 
knees, your quads, hamstrings, they're not conditioned for this, especially if you've just been a cyclist and not big on walking and hiking and stuff. So we're conditioning the tissue and it's that tissue conditioning that's going to take a long time because our ligaments and tendons aren't going to adapt, especially as fast as our muscle, but just they adapt slower. Um, the other thing that you're going to want to do is make sure that you're doing whether that's a 10 minute daily core sort of thing where you're doing some lunges and some calf raises on stairs, making sure you get that negative where your heel drops below the stairs, your classic calf mobilizations. Um, and again, this can be sprinkled in during the day at your desk. It could be a lunge stretch at the desk. It can be some calf mobilization standing up while you're at the door. Um, you know, those things you can all Google, but I think the lunges, things for your hamstrings, things for your calves, especially, um, a lot of us don't have the ankle mobility, especially if we're cyclists, because we've stiffened that ankle to be efficient on the bike. So usually we're missing some dorsiflexion, sort of that ability, well, really to point our toe or pull our toe closer to the shin, but more importantly for running the shin to the, or the toe to the shin, um, shoes. Uh, minimal is really important, but you probably aren't set up to do that right away. So get sort of a middle ground shoe. You don't need the most giant shoe, but just make sure you get a running shoe and it's worth spending a bit of money to, you know, make that a long-term habit. Um, and just keep your ego out of it. Go sort of middle ground. Some of the New Balance and Nike ones that are just, you know, middle ground are, are great. Um... If you're not running on the road and your goal is like an Xterra or a trail run, um, definitely look to the softer uh, areas. But even if it is going to be a road running race, like get off road, run some trails because you're going to mix up the loading then. So, you, you know, if you're running downhill, it's going to be a little more heel strike, flat ground and grass and stuff. You're going to have to be a bit more on your toes to be agile. Uphill is going to sort of help strengthen those calves and maybe even walk up the hills. But again, it's pushing that ankle mobility. So mix the terrain and you're going to sort of shift the load around a little bit more than just flat running, which is what everyone starts off with is just flat run and they go for an hour and then they're super sore and injured and their Achilles is blown. So mix it up and have some fun. Like trail running is super fun. Um, so go and try that. Then the other thing is just go hiking, like get your dog or family or both and go walk up hills, find the local trail and explore that. Um, the uphill running, again, just the variety of loading from walking downhill, walking uphill, walking up steep uphills. You're basically doing calf raises and working on your mobility while just spending some family time and getting a little basic endurance, which we can all use. So that would be, I guess, a five-step program to start running. Um, did I miss anything? I didn't really progress the initial run, but basically progress that run walk mm -hmm. until you're running for sort of 30 minutes or a 5K. And I think that's really the sweet spot. If we can all get to be able to run a 5K pretty comfy, yeah. you got a lot of weight. You can really progress that however you like from there. Yeah. I think I have a couple other thoughts to add to that. My first would be if you're coming off the bike, like running is really hard. Like your heart rate is probably higher at your, you know, easiest run gear that you have especially when you're first starting running than it is when you're at like endurance ride pace so my first thought with doms is just are you drinking enough and are you hydrating and stuff because i think it's really easy to get dehydrated on the run because we don't have our water like a lot of us don't run with water bottles so we don't have that like sipping every few minutes thing and we just might not realize that we're actually extending ourselves much more than we are on the bike so that's my first thought with doms. My second thought is 
Doms is not necessarily a bad thing all of the time. Like a little bit of soreness is totally fine. It means you're, you know, working hard. Uh, that said, if it's to the point where you can't walk, and I've been really guilty of this back, like my first Ironman eight years ago, I did pretty much every bad training thing in the book. And there is a time where I was walking with a cane because my doms were so bad that I couldn't walk, but I was still going and swimming and riding and still actually running despite the fact that I had to walk with a cane because I couldn't really bend my legs unless I sped up enough. And that was stupid. That was really, really stupid. So, you know, if it's so bad that you can't walk and your normal everyday function is getting screwed up, that's time to back off and go, you know, more walking, less running, like ease into it more. But if you're just like a little bit sore the next day, that's not really necessarily the worst thing in the universe. Yeah, I think that's good. We, should, we could all probably wake up and drink a glass of water and, and see some improvements. Mm-hmm. So That's true. Um, yeah, and I'll say adding much more mobility, especially when you're new to running, is just so important. Especially if you are, I mean, even if you already have a bike mobility routine, it's like really helpful to, you know, make sure you're adding in some stretches that are more befitting a runner, like Peter was mentioning. Because I think we're like, oh, no, I do mobility, but you're doing sport specific mobility, not the stuff that's maybe, you know, what you're lacking. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then you also mentioned in the notes here that the book Ready to Run is good. Um, that's the Kelly Sturette one, right? Yeah, as far as learn, you know, getting the idea of like it's in the title, like being ready to run. Like it's not just your God gift as a God gifted God. You're not gifted from God. You're not God's gift. No, like running is not like a gift from God. I guess like you don't have the the like the ability to do it out of the womb. It's a skill. Um, Despite the fact that we are born to run. Yeah, I think that's the debate, though, is that you, you had you started when you were born, you would have yeah. been okay, maybe. Sure. But you, we've all lost it. We've sat in chairs and not run. So it takes some time to get back. So that book just talks a bit about the conditioning, whether that's strength and mobility and probably touches on drinking some water as well. Mm-hmm. It's a really um, easy read, too, I'll say. Yeah. So talking about books, the next question we have is books on nutrition. Um what would be your top book? <laughs> well, if I had to pick a book, I would pick Fuel Your Ride. It's written by this really good author, Molly Herford. You might have heard of her. No, I mean, I'm totally kidding, but I will say Fuel Your Ride was sort of the book that I've wanted to write since I was like eight years old that sort of combines and takes into account all of the nutritional stuff that I've learned over the years with like a ton of different expert resources from, you know, PhDs to pro cyclists. So I think that's an, I've heard at least that it's an easy and interesting read. Um, so if you're not maybe partial to kind of denser books on nutrition, that's, that's kind of an easy one. Uh, the other one, I actually, I'm such a Matt Fitzgerald fan. So we actually had him on the podcast back in January talking about his newest, uh, The Endurance Diet, which is another really easy read about nutrition that I thought was just absolutely fantastic. Really great principles and habits versus eat this, not that. Um, he also has one called Racing Weight that I, I really enjoyed. Um, let's see, who else? 
you can't beat the feed zone when you're coming to cookbooks, though. That's the Alan Lim and Bijou Thomas. Just the, some of the best recipes. Delicious, easy to cook, lots of great advice in there as well. So if you're more cookbook oriented, that's where I'd go. Yeah, and it's got some good basic principles in it, too. Like if you're just looking for a short primer on diet i mean all, all three of those books you've mentioned are very i guess moderate in their approach to diet also i'm really sorry because i totally just stole peter has some notes here and he just scrolled down and i realized that i stole his three things without seeing them well i'll go more kooky and paleo on okay. this one but um so this question most recently came from a client who just wanted some more like continued education i guess um just to you know, brush up on nutrition and sort of, I guess, maybe even see where my opinions were and stuff. So I recommended those three books for sure. Um, the Endurance Diet and Molly's book, Fuel Your Ride, and then the Feed Zone series. There's a new one by Alan Lim uh, called the T- Feed, Zone, Feed table. Zone Table. And it sort of gets into, I guess, where I'm at is, is just the more holistic look at diet. So what we eat, the macros, you know, your carbs, protein, whatever is part of that, you know, whether you're vegan or paleo or eat only meat or whatever you do. Um, but this new book by Alan Lim and sort of the way that a lot of the industry is going now is to look at everything, um, which is really what the paleo framework was in my mind um, all along and got misconstrued to be diet. But the idea that how we sleep, you know, who we're with, how we spend our days, is as important, if not more important, than the actual, again, macros of what you eat. Um, so if you're stressed out you know, and you eat kale, it's probably not gonna go very well for you. Um, but if you really enjoy that cupcake and you're with someone you really like and you walk around all day, um, you, know, you do some exercise and you sleep really well, you, know, you can probably absorb a fair bit of cupcakes uh, and be in a better or same place as the person who is not digesting their kale and having a rough go with that it's true i think i'm probably in like the best shape i've been in and when charlotte who was on the podcast last week and i were together riding we were riding a bunch but we had a couple of donut shop stops i'm not gonna lie i know you had a couple with uh, some of the guys while you were riding with them in oxnard and you know what i felt freaking awesome so much better than if I'd just been going like straight like gels and stuff. Yeah, for sure. Um, and yeah. I know we're not just talking ride food. We're talking like whole everything, but. Yeah, I think so. I think that's what we miss though sometimes is that, you know, what what the situation is with the sort of whole person. Um, you know, there's a lot of research around sleep and your exposure to sun and your social situation and stress with work and movement and how that interacts with how you absorb food and how you digest food. Um, so again, Alan Lim's latest book with the Feed Zone series is called Table. Um, and then actually one that's, I'm not through, but one that I'm excited about and have uh, read about a bunch is Rob Wolf's new book, uh, Wired to Eat, which talks a lot about how sort of we're all wired up differently and and sort of how our stress and sleep and photo period sort of interacts with the the nutrients that we eat so um i guess that's a bonus bonus questions and answers in there but that's sort of a bunch of the top books that we keep around and enjoy on nutrition Mm -hmm. 
I also prefer, or if I if I'm going back to when I was eight years old, I was very much into Cher's book on uh, fitness and diet and lifestyle. Um, yeah, that was that was what got me into reading about nutrition. Um, probably don't read that one though. Ooh, actually, Bernstein Bears and Too Much Junk Food. I'm gonna argue is one of the best nutritional books that has ever been written. Could be. Probably emphasizes family and sleeping. It is literally just, yeah, family and, like, here's some carrot sticks and in, I'm going to take away this candy and try this. It's I just remember Mama Bear saying, try this. It's called water when Brother Bear and Sister Bear don't know what to drink instead of pop. So, I mean, for books that have really, like, stuck in my head and... Right. You know, really kind of boiled it down to eat reasonable, healthy foods. We know what those are. Right. Berenstein Bears, for the win. And bonus, it will take you 10 minutes to read. That's probably all it should take. Oh, and if you have kids, I feel like that's a great, like... It's two for one bargain. Yeah. There you go. All right, next, next question. Um... Actually, let's go to this one. Changing diet habits. How to stop dessert or start eating breakfast... For losing weight? Um, or just in general? I mean, this is, I guess, somewhat extended from the previous one. That's why I figured we'd jump to this one. Um, I'm trying to think where I've gone with this in the past. So when we're changing, it's just so personal, I think, is, is why I hesitate to even start this one. But um, I, I can start, I guess, with my own personal success, I guess, is... I try and just not, after dinner, just be sitting around and idly watching TV. So try and plan something where, you know, you go for a walk after dinner or, you know, you just have something else to do. If you're just sitting there, then that's hard. So habit pairing is usually important where you're, rather than sitting and watching TV and having a bowl of Oreos, you know, you go for a walk and then brush your teeth and jump in bed and read a book and, you know, you're asleep before you know it. Um... The other thing that's pretty common and relates to the sleep, I think, is that a lot of times when we start getting hungry and need that like bedtime or midnight snack, it's usually a good sign that we need to go to sleep. Um, so if you find yourself eating at like 9, 9, 30, 10, try just going to sleep and like not going to TV, which is easier said than done. But that's usually the what's, what's going on there is we're not hungry as much as we are sleepy. So we're taking that tired feeling to mean hungry. Um, and in fact, we're sleepy. So I don't know. Peter's also like really good at, I'm not even going to call it deprivation because Peter just doesn't have like the sweet tooth or like the junk food like vibe. I that... mean, I like cereal and I like chocolate, but I think that's, you know, eating enough during the day would be the other thing. Like people who skip breakfast historically eat a ton for dinner and then snack. So mm -hmm. I would just look at that. I mean, before we say that I'm good at habits and stuff like sometimes it is just you know we're trying to cram all our calories into after 6 p.m mm -hmm. um, well i was using that as a springboard for me being terrible with this stuff in the past so well then what have you done yeah what have i done uh so many different things um and really i don't i still eat dessert on occasion but it's not like the nightly thing that i used to do um, so a couple of the ways I've done that, uh, the first one was sort of starting to shift really slowly. So I used to eat a lot of chocolate. So the first thing I did a few years ago was switch from like 
I halved that amount of chocolate, but then I added a bunch of strawberries. So I was still getting actually more volume. Um, And then kind of over time, I was going down lower, lower on the chocolate, keeping the strawberries, and then eventually switched the chocolate to dark chocolate. And then honestly, just kind of started phasing it all out. Um, But it was easier going that kind of slow move than it would have been for me to just say like, boom, I'm not doing it. Um, The other thing, though, on kind of the flip side was in January, I decided to go full on like dry January to see how that worked. Um, And that was also actually like, because I knew I only had to do it for 30 days, it was a little easier. And I think after doing that, I have cut down on how much wine I drink. Uh, So that was a positive. So for some people, it might be like you have to go 30 days to kind of get it out of your system and like get away from it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing I've done, and I wrote about it in Fuel Your Ride, is shifted, and a lot of the nutritionists suggested this, shifted sort of those indulgences like dessert stuff to in-ride and post-ride, or in-run and post-run. So instead of eating a cookie at night, I'll eat it when I get back from my run. So that way it's you know actually getting used versus sitting in my stomach overnight. Um, so that's been a lot better for that. Um, let's see, what else? I think those are good suggestions for sure. I think the idea of switching, because I mean, the other thing is maybe you are okay to eat, maybe if it doesn't affect your sleep, but maybe you could make it like higher quality dessert. So um, I can recall a time like when I first started with the whole paleo thing, sort of missing that treat at night. And I remember doing like a banana with nut butter or honey or something like that. So it was still sweet. It was still sugary. Um, but at least it was, you know, banana, honey, nut butter type thing versus, you know, whatever. I don't know what I had before. It probably wasn't, I don't even know what I had for dessert. Cookies, maybe? Maybe. Probably cereal, honestly, because that was my main addiction was just tons <laughs> of cereal. So that, I think, was what I was breaking was sort of just that idea of having that. So I think I even put, like, some crunch with nuts and stuff, too, so... Sometimes that's it, is just make a better choice to start versus like completely eliminating that, mm-hmm. that habit. And then maybe it's easier once you sort of get off to something different. Yeah. The other one was how to start eating breakfast. Um, I think we've both dealt with this, not for ourselves, but we both have parents who weren't the biggest breakfast eaters. So with Peter's dad, for example, we started him on protein powder in the morning. So he's drinking, but he's still getting in some protein. And that seems to have shifted like pretty, that's worked pretty well for him. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just like a milkshake and, you know, or whatever chocolate. He just gave him a bunch of bike water bottles and he'll put his scoop of whey protein in. And sometimes I'll even have him on a greens powder. So he'll actually have two water bottles. He's really bad for like making it go the whole day and just keeping on refilling it. But it's sort of tricking him into drinking a bunch of water, which isn't the worst thing either for someone who didn't used to drink water either. That's true. Um, so yeah, he gets a bit of protein in. I wish he would drink it all at once in the morning, but you know, it gets into him over the course of the morning usually. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a chocolate flavored greens powder that I'm using right now that I actually really like. It's pretty tasty and doesn't add a ton. Like there's no like added sugar or anything. It's just like a slightly less grassy taste. Mm-hmm. So I've been really happy with that. The other thing I've been doing, but with my breakfast, but I guess if you're not a breakfast person and just trying to like ease your way into it is, um, 
I've been using unflavored collagen powder in my coffee in the morning. Um, and that's, you know, it's a bunch of protein, basically. It doesn't taste like anything. So you can add it to your coffee. You're getting protein, and you really can't even tell. So if you're one of those coffee for breakfast people, that's probably like an easy intro into having some protein with your breakfast without even adding a bottle. Mm-hmm. So sneaky. Um, but really, like, honestly, eating breakfast, I mean, how many habit books and like health books say that eating breakfast is one of like the best things you can do for yourself? Yeah, I, I would just start small and try and get there, but. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so that's that's on that. And then what about for losing weight as far as habits go? I mean, I think that speaks to the first, you know, two things we answered. I think, again, very specific to the person and what they're doing. I think the big thing would just be adding more vegetables to every meal is sort of the one piece of advice that's going to work across the board. There are very few people who wouldn't benefit from an extra you know, serving of vegetables with all their meals. It'll fill you up. It'll give you the good fiber, a lot of good nutrients. Yeah, I mean, people are going to hit plateaus, and there's certain reasons, but... I mean, I would look at sleep. Again, there's a lot of stuff with where sleep is going to affect how you use the nutrients or how much craving you saw. I saw a study this morning I was reading was that our how we interpret the scent of food. So when we smell foods, like how, how much that increases, I guess, our craving uh, would be a way to phrase that. But um, so when we sleep, we are more subject to smelling stuff and wanting it. Um, which is interesting. So I, I would check in on that sleep and see if we can't find a little bit more sleep time or sleep more so that we're not eating, you know, again at that 9 p.m. or 8 p.m. Uh, in that window. And other than sleep, I think the other thing is just look at how can you increase the nutrient quality. So Molly talked about adding vegetables. Um, so it could be, you know, cauliflower rice instead of rice. It could be um, we put spinach in with our eggs in the morning, so it might be something like that. Um, it could be adding more protein to your diet, so it might not even necessarily be uh, subtracting something. Sometimes it might be adding protein to your diet, which may have the effect of decreasing total calories, but it also might just keep you fuller. It might you know, help with lean muscle mass. It might help with energy. Um, and if you have a sweet tooth, honestly, like chocolate protein powder does sort of hit that for you. So if you're yeah. trying to cut down on like the, you know, mid-afternoon donut or whatever, that can sometimes be enough to, to get you through. Yeah, sometimes people will, you know, you just it's it's not obviously not the the ideal like perfect solution and it might not be super appealing to you, but just yeah, if you know, you have those two bottles full of whey protein, one's for breakfast and one's that mid-afternoon snack and um, you know, you, you just have that to try and get that protein up a little higher. Um, you could see really positive benefits out of just adding that and, you know, maybe not even changing your normal routine, but you have to drink those two bottles and, you know, see what happens. That can be your monthly experiment um, and, and go from there. But it also might supplant, like maybe if you're having chocolate milk and soda or something, like maybe you could replace that with a whey protein. And again, mm-hmm. see if that increased protein and then also probably decreased calories versus those two things. You know, yeah. you might not even notice that difference. Yeah. And I mean, the other totally cliche thing is that sometimes when we think we're hungry, we're actually just thirsty. So I drink a lot of tea during the day and not 
like usually not caffeinated tea just i love lemon ginger tea and stuff like that so i think doing that sometimes can sort of take the edge off of you know wanting to snack especially if you pair it with stuff that you you know actually enjoy doing so if you can have your tea and read a book for 10 minutes versus eat your cupcake while you're answering work emails i think i'd actually probably pick the tea over the cupcake in that case yeah the so. other thing i like if you're into crunchy stuff is like full-size carrots you love full-size yeah, carrots. i hate baby carrots those are horrible but a full-size carrot like if you get like a giant, like look for the biggest bag of carrots you can get. Like the ones for horses. Yeah. And one, it's like almost borderline embarrassing eating it. But two, by the time you get through, it's like so much fiber and chewing and gnawing on it that you're just like, you don't want to eat anymore. I don't know. That's true. It's yeah. It's pretty time consuming and like it's a lot of bulk too. Yeah. So. Actually, that's the chewing is actually a really good point this afternoon I had like a kale salad for lunch and by the end of it I was so tired from chewing it enough that like if you'd given me a piece of cake I probably wouldn't have eaten it because I was so over having to chew something yeah and that's definitely one of the tactics that a lot of the pro cyclists in, in your book they certainly talk mm -hmm. about that but the big salad for dinner so most pros would train during the day and then have their recovery meal um you know, which is higher carbohydrate and higher calorie. But then for dinner, which is a few hours after their workout, so obviously you're going to have to adjust this if you're a working person, you know, and your dinner might be more car higher carbohydrate. Um, but they would have a giant salad. So something that's just like the biggest bowl you can find in the house, but filled with, you know, lots of vegetables um, and then a good protein source. So, you know, a, a palm or two of, you know, meat or whatever you're, you're doing. Um, and then that's dinner, so no like major carbohydrate source or maybe just a smaller portion of carbohydrate, you know, like your starchy carbohydrate, um, and then going to bed with that. So they've still gotten their carbohydrate, but it's all positioned around their workout or timed. Um, that nutrient timing is the piece that they're sort of working with that. Um, so that then they're, you know, I think that's, that's a good tactic. That's, again, not that hard because as Molly says, you're so over chewing and eating once you get through that giant bowl that you know you don't really notice that you basically just had salad might even save you from dessert if you do that at night yeah likely there you go all right we're going to take one more quick ad break and then we're going to get back with the last question Hey guys, if you didn't know, in addition to doing this podcast, I'm also the author of a few different books on cycling, including Saddle Sore, Ride Comfortable, Ride Happy, which came out last November. So, if you were on a ride and you sprained your ankle, would you say something to the group you were riding with? Of course you would, but what about when you're on a ride and you realize that you've gone completely numb down there, or you're chafing so badly you're afraid you might be bleeding? Uh, most people don't speak up in that case. Most people will just suffer in silence and have no idea why they have massive saddle sores, uh, if they realize they have saddle sores at all, or they just won't ride that much anymore. So it doesn't matter whether you're a beginner or a pro, this stuff happens. It's awkward. We don't love talking about it, but that lack of communication is hurting our riding and it's making it so much less fun. So, enter Saddlesore, the first guide that answers all of these embarrassing, awkward, or plain weird questions that you have about the bike and those sensitive areas. In my book, you learn how to diagnose and treat saddle sores, how to choose a saddle and a chamois, 
whether a pad is better than a tampon, what causes numbness on the bike, how to get back to riding after pregnancy, and so much more. And you'll also find new chapters, including a section for male riders and a ton more questions than the original edition that came out in 2014. So pick up a new copy of the 2016 version over at consummateathlete.com backslash shop, where you can find more info on the book or the link to buy it over on Amazon. And we'll have it in the show notes as well. Give it a look. Okay, last question, and it's kind of one of my favorite ones to go into, because we get to test a lot of gear, so this is sort of a a fun one. Um, Best gadget slash app for the consummate athlete? Uh, I have been recommending the HRV for training. We had Marco on as one of our earlier podcasts, and that app seems to be going well for them. It's growing. Training Peaks has embraced it. I'm trying to get more and more athletes on it because, one, it makes people, as Molly likes to talk about, meditate and sort of be quiet for a minute or five. It's also an excuse to stay in bed for an extra five minutes for me. I don't have to press the snooze button anymore because now I'm doing something healthy, but still snoozing. Yeah, so it uses validated, um, or the, the method it uses is validated with research now that the fingertip on the camera phone uh, sort of measures heart rate and heart rate variability as accurate or close to as accurate as a strap does. So you don't need to use a strap, you just put your finger on the phone camera and it measures your heart rate and your heart rate variability. And then it asks you a bunch of questions um, about your recovery and your stress and your sleep and everything else. And then it sends a bunch of those metrics, as I like to call them, but and as Training Peaks calls them, to Training Peaks. So if you do have a coach or you're tracking your training in Training Peaks, you can get that heart rate, heart rate variability, and then things like motivation, soreness, um, I can't remember what other, the sleep quality, all sent to Training Peaks. So it's all in that one place. So for me and my athletes, it's been working really good. And, and as, an at, as an athlete myself, I really like it. So. Yeah. No, that one is definitely one of my number one answers to this question. Uh, the other one, speaking of heart rate monitors, has actually been for me the uh, the Polar heart rate monitor that's Bluetooth. I've actually really liked for running because I can just like click it on and... You mean strap, just the... The strap, strap. yeah, sorry. Yeah, which I think is an H7 Bluetooth strap. I, I think, think that's so. what it's called. Yeah, it's really it's really great because it's, you know just throw it on and my phone is acts as the heart rate monitor so I don't need to deal with any other devices I mean I have you know my Garmin for my riding and I do have like wrist ones for more serious runs but when I just want to kind of get out real quick it's you know really easy yeah that's a nice strap it's built really well it does I think HRV and amp plus or does it not do bluetooth and amp plus bluetooth and amp plus I believe so yeah um, the other thing I've actually been testing, and I, I will say so far so good, is uh, Under Armour has running shoes that actually have sensors in them. So they record mileage and cadence, which is pretty sick, but they also have a jump test um, part of it that syncs with the Map My Run app. And so you do a quick series of six jumps. And once you do them for a few days, it actually can gauge your, uh, your fatigue. So it's been pretty interesting to try that out. I know jump testing has been sort of in and out, like force plate. Is is it force plates? They use the force plate not as much. I've not seen, I'm sure they've done research with that with recovery, but um, 
like vertical jump is one of the tests that is used like in track and field and a few other coaches will use it like in strength training and stuff so basically how high you can jump and you can touch the wall or use an actual vertical jump test um, which basically hit sort of bars out of the way Um, they use it in nfl combine but you can use it because how high you can jump it's a very explosive thing it's sort of linked to that central nervous system fatigue um so I'm intrigued by Molly's sneakers, but waiting for her, her test results from this month to see how they go. Yeah, so they're interesting. And if you follow me on Instagram, at Molly J. Herford, you'll see I've been doing a couple stories around them as I'm doing runs. So keep an eye out for those. Um, the last thing I'll say on gadgets is actually just our little Bluetooth speaker that syncs to the iPhone. I mean, as far as gadgets go for the consummate athlete, particularly the consummate athlete who travels a lot. Like, man, we've had this one for like a year and a half now and it has gotten some mileage on it. And it's great for like, just when you're busting out your like core work or your strength training in the garage, like you just click it on and boom. Yeah, it's been good. Well, actually last year we were up in Big Bear and it's near where we are right now. So almost exactly a year ago and I put it on top of a heater and it still functions, but it's hanging on by a thread. But definitely we've used it for dinner and workouts and a couple cars that haven't had like aux-ins or we haven't brought cables or whatever. It's been handy to just put it sort of on the dash and, you know, you can still listen to your podcasts or this podcast mm-hmm. or, or music, um, you know, through a, a reasonably high quality speaker versus your iPhone, you know, isn't going to go loud enough. You don't want to use headphones and stuff. So yeah, that was a. I think you got me that for Christmas. Or I something, did. But You're welcome. That's one thing that I've used a ton, so that's a good gadget for sure. Which I think people might, you know, not think of getting that or, or traveling with that. But I think yeah, of all the things that we would continue to travel with, probably a Bluetooth speaker is one. Yeah, sounds weird, but it's amazing. All right, guys, I think that's gonna sum it up for this this month's Q&A episode. Uh, stay tuned. We have a couple of really rad guests coming up. We have a couple that are already recorded. We have a couple of interviews we're doing coming up. I am so stoked on the lineup right now. Yeah, things are going well. Thank you for listening and all your suggestions and suggestions for guests, suggestions on how we can improve the show. Audio quality hopefully is getting a little better. We're trying. Um, as we come up on a year. Um, so yeah, thanks to Wide Angle Podium for their help with the audio quality and, and show sponsors. And mm-hmm. yeah, definitely check out Wide Angle Podium over at, I believe it's just wideanglepodium.com. They've added a couple new shows recently, a couple cool episodes in there as well from some of the other shows. Yeah, and then I think the only other thing we're going to do is just ask you to head over to iTunes and subscribe to this if you haven't already. And if you're enjoying the show, we'd love it. If you Or if you're not, we'd like to hear that too. Uh, leave us a review in iTunes. That would be super helpful. We're really excited to keep this rolling. I don't think we really expected it to to last us a year and be something that we're still really enjoying but we're both actually i think getting more excited as time goes on about it so yeah it's good definitely if you could leave a review that would be helpful it definitely sets our show apart from some of the other shows you know by having some reviews and some ratings in there so if you could spare a minute or two today just to do that we'd we'd love you very much that's true all right until next time thanks for listening Thanks so much for listening to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. We would love if you would head over to iTunes and leave us a review. And while you're there, consider subscribing. We'd also love to connect over at Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Molly J. Herford and Peter is at Peter Glassford. 
If you have ideas or questions from today's podcast, or you just want to browse some of the show notes and past shows, you can also check us out at consummateathlete.com. Thanks, guys, and we will see you next time.